Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a pretty cool dude on today by the name of Bill Flynn. I was recently introduced to Bill by a mutual friend and we booked him for the show and I'm excited to hear this guy's story. So I want to welcome Bill to the show. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Ken. Thank you for having hey, me. Hey, thanks for being here, man. So, so um, you know, we we don't know each other. We nope. we just met <laughs> yeah. first time. So um, I I always find it a little interesting to meet new people fresh that I've never met and hear their story and. You're the only Steelers fan living in Boston. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So um, I'm sure you're not a Steelers fan. But um, anyway, so, you know, this show, I created this show a couple of years ago to help people have a breakthrough in life that get stuck. And, yeah. and I think that um, we've all been there and done that and love to hear some of your challenges and how you overcame them. So let's start with, and by right. the way, you will have full screen. I'm going to give you full screen, right. um, but, but let's, let's start with where you were born and raised. Sure. I was born in the city known as the town of Methuen, which is just on the New Hampshire border up in the Northeast corner of Massachusetts. Okay. And that's where you went to school and... Yeah, I went uh, th all through uh, high school, went to uh, a couple different high schools, but uh, grade school, everything. I actually went to college up in New Hampshire to play hockey. Um, wow. And I did that, uh, played at a pretty good level. A couple of my um, teammates played in the NHL, so it was pretty good, pretty good hockey. Um, but I spent my, grew up my entire life in this relatively small town, 30, 35,000 people. Um, and uh, right on the New Hampshire, literally on the New Hampshire border. Uh, so it was a great, great sort of small town upbringing. My dad was a pipe fitter. Uh, my mom was a teacher. So I get that whole middle class background yeah. thing going for me. So it was good. It was good. It was a decent uh, upbringing. I, I enjoyed it. And that, you know, that area of the country is, is very rich in history. Like there's some pretty cool history over, over in the New England area. So, so growing up for you i mean what what was it like as a kid i mean were you like did you face any challenges as a kid or were you like the most popular kid and yeah um well i was voted the most friendly in high school so were you? <laughs> i guess i was i was somewhat popular i was uh i actually it's funny. I was on the yearbook committee in high school and I got a vote in every single category, uh, wow. which is pretty funny. Uh, I was also, I was, I was runner up in class clown. So I'm not sure, but there's a, there's a, a it seems like a really thin line between being uh, friendly and being a smart ass. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, so uh, it was a, it was a, it was a great upbringing. Yes. And, and this part of the country is terrific. You know, I, I'm, I now live in Sudbury, which is uh, uh, about an hour away from where I grew up and, you know, Concord, Lexington, all that history, that rich history of, of the U.S. was in my backyard. So I got to go see things that some people only get to see once, if, if ever, in their lives. Uh, so wow. it was a pretty cool place to grow up. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I was telling you off air that my wife and I went to a wedding over there and the reception dinner 
what or the yeah the reception it was at a restaurant that was like i i don't remember it was like 170 years old or something i i it was like yeah. this amazing little we, restaurant. we have a few of those yeah yeah you have the wayside inn which is actually right down the street from me okay is uh so you know like george washington slept there i mean this is this is that's that's is it like chained off the stairs going up? Yes, yes. That's, that's where that must. I think that's where it was. Then that sounds yeah, really. Familiar. That's a mile from where I'm standing. Is it really? It is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah My play. wife's on here. Maybe she'll remember. Nice. But yeah. um, so so you grew up over in that area, beautiful area. Um, and did you end up going to college? I did. As I said, I so I went to college. I went to two colleges. One I. I always wanted to play hockey. I wanted to be a professional hockey player when I was a little kid. You know, I was, I'm was i born in, in the 60s. I'm a little bit older than you are, Ken. Um, and so Bobby Orr was the thing. And so, you know, all through my youth, I was number four. I was a, I was a left-handed wow. defenseman, you know, playing on the right-hand side. I, I try to emulate. I actually, at one point, I was uh, I wanted to change my name from William to Robert um, so I could be like Bobby Orr. You know, it's a little, I was a little obsessed. Um, so yeah, I went to school to go to, uh, to play hockey at a school called St. Anselm's, which is up in um, right outside of Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, and then, you know, I, about a year of it just didn't have the, the, the love anymore. So I stopped yeah. and I went, I went to school locally um, here uh, in, in Lowell, Massachusetts. So I, I finished my college career at the University of Lowell, which is now U UMass Lowell. Wow. So um, what was your, what, what, what was your degree in? Um, my degree was a bachelor of science in business administration with a minor in marketing. Okay. Basically I, I had four majors over the many years I went to college and, uh, I ended up in the one that I got the best grades in. <laughs> oh, wow. So when I started to get good grades, I'm like, yeah, hey, let's just stay in this one. I just want to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so what, after college, what happened? Where'd you, where'd you end up? Uh, so actually, uh, during college, I worked all through college. Uh, I worked at, uh, a local pizza chain called Papa Gino's, okay. uh, kind of a mini Pizza Hut, Papa John's kind of thing. Yeah. And did that and stayed there when I graduated from college because it was decent money. Um, but then I was, uh, luckily enough, I had uh, some relatively influential family members, at least in the, the world of uh, high tech and that kind of thing. So my uncle got me a job um, there uh, through interviews and things. And so I, I started at, you know, 22, 23, I started working in high tech and, and until 2015, that's what I did for a living. Uh, I started there and I ended up doing 10 startups, uh, as well wow. over 25 years. So it's been a interesting, it's, it's easier to do startups here in, in Massachusetts. We got a few that, that come out of MIT every four or five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some smart people who go there. So, so you, these, these startups, um, were they your startups? No, I was, um, I was never a founder. I'm not really an idea guy. I'm, um, what's kind of known in the world. I'm an operator. So I take it and I help it scale. Okay. So I was usually brought in, I eventually ended up being the head of sales and marketing at a bunch of these places and, 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 and a GM and that kind of thing. And I was usually brought in, I, and probably two or three other people were asked by, some of the local VCs, we were relatively successful. Um, 
I was five for six. Uh, my first five were either an IPO or some sort of an acquisition of a decent size. I've helped make a lot of people very rich. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of them. Wow. Um, uh, so, um, so I did that for you know a whole bunch of years, uh, and uh, decided in the last four or five years that I want to do another one, and I decided to be a coach. Um, I know you've talked about coaches a little bit yeah, on some of your shows and such. So I do that now for a living, which is great. I work for myself. You're in my office, which is, nice. which is we call it the library. I'm not doing the standard book thing behind me, you, yeah. know, which you see everywhere. Right. Um, but funnily enough, I don't know. I, I think I saw your wife uh, on there. The paneling that you see behind me yeah. is a replica of the Wayside Inn. Oh, wow. Where you had your, uh, where you had your um, reception. If that was it, I'm not a thousand yeah, percent sure, was. but yeah, it probably, it, I don't remember the exact, I might have to look it up now, but, but yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really nice room. I've been, so, I've been living here for a while. So when you, when you say coaching, cause I, I, I'm a coach as well. Yep. Um, when you say coaching, what, what type of coaching? So my main gig is I'm a leadership coach, so I don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching as the primary thing that I do. Although partly what I do is one-on-one -on -one because I, in essence, hired and fired by the CEO or the head of the company, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but I work with his or her entire team and I teach them a framework uh, to help them build their business in a healthy and thriving way. Um, so that's, that's the main gig that I do. Uh, I have a handful of clients um, here. They're all in Massachusetts. Uh, and until recently, uh, I was doing I was doing really well. <laughs> the yeah. last couple of months have been a bit of a shock to the income, but uh, I still keep in touch with a lot of them. And many of them have, have sort of paused for now. Um, others are really struggling. Now, uh, are these are they small businesses? Or are they bigger? Yeah. yeah, my largest company that I've ever worked with, uh, I think, it was about sixty or seventy million. So the decent size. Yeah. My smallest has yet to meet, reach a million dollars. Wow. So, That's and then there's a few in between, it's usually in that 10 million range, give or take five to yeah. 10 million range. So, and, and so what's the process that you do with these and, and how, how do they, they just like call you and say, Hey, we need coaching. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great if that just happened? <laughs> yeah, you know, my phone has rung three or four times. Been talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so when I first started off, you know, talk about struggles, it was a struggle. I actually started from scorched earth. I, uh, I decided I wanted to try this. I had a, a bit of a taste of coaching about 10 years ago. I wasn't bright enough to know that that's actually what it was until years later. And I reflected back, no, oh, that's sort of what I did. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted a little bit more of that. So uh, I said, do I want to do an 11th startup or do I want to try something else? And I had uh, actually... I'm a big reader and I, I love learning and I'm curious and that kind of stuff. So I joined a bunch of newsletters and one of them was by this guy, Vern Harnish, who some people know, some people don't. He's uh, written a couple books and he's got a big organization. He's worked with 40, 50,000 um, companies around the world over the last 20, 25 years. And so I joined his newsletter and he sent me an email. And I thought it was like a marketing email, right? Cause you know, I yeah. just said, can I join your newsletter? Here's my email address. And, 
but it yeah. was worded it was worded like a human being so i said you know what this might be real so i answered it and it was really him wow <laughs> so we chatted a little bit and i said hey i've been thinking about doing this here was my experience i really like your book and i like your the way you think how can you help me what can i do um and he said oh i've got a coaching organization let me have you talk to keith and he put me up to keith and that was about a little over four years ago Wow. Uh, so I got trained in that. I don't actually work with them anymore. Uh, I sort of broadened it a little bit and, and focused a little more as well. Um, so that's how I got started. And uh, so I teach a framework um, to to my clients. That framework is basically shows them how to build a company as one big system which is made up of a bunch of subsystems. So there's like a cultural subsystem and a human subsystem and a strategy subsystem and execution and cash and those kinds of things. So that's that's what I teach. It's a, In the end, they build what we call a, a one-page plan, uh, which in essence goes from all their core stuff, values, purpose, you know, competencies, customer, all that stuff. And then as you go across the page, so to speak, it gets to you know quarterly or monthly planning. So it sort of moves through just you know far off distance core stuff all the way through to day to day or week to week or month to month planning so okay like the the smaller company that hasn't hasn't even hit a million dollars yet yeah how how do you what do you where do you start with 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 a smaller business like that you know it's interesting uh so i've been studying business for about 30 years ken and i've found that there are a lot of commonalities between uh, uh, and among businesses that are successful. And they're generally the same exact few things. Right. Uh, and many of those things start with the leader. So a lot of people say, you know, how do you find your customers? And, you know, who are they? What's the ideal customer for you? And they want me to say size of company or industry. And I found that it doesn't really matter. It really matters what's going on in the head of the leader. And he or she needs to be humble they need to be a learner themselves, a lifelong learner, and they need to be comfortable challenging the status quo, which if you're a coach, you know, many don't like to do that. Um, yeah. So if as long as you're that way, I can help you. Now, the only other really requirement is you need to be able to afford me and I make an obscene amount of money an hour. My, my ROI is through the roof, but I do make a high dollar per hour. I'm generally 10 to 100x in terms of ROI if you do if we work well together. Right. So in the end, it pays for itself, but in, in the beginning, it's a little expensive. And so this small company, I actually tried to talk her out of working with me three times. Wow. Um, but she was determined, and, and I actually work with the state of Massachusetts to have them subsidize my fees a little bit. I've become a registered and approved vendor of the US, of the state of Massachusetts, so they can actually dip into a fund that's um, part of that. So they only have to pay half of what I charge, which is wow. great. So the, so the small company gets to pay a lot less. Right. Than it would normally, I don't, she said, if, if I were to do your regular fees, I couldn't afford you. And I said, you're right, you know, but, and things were great. They were doing really well. She was, she was terrific. Her team around her was great. Um, and they were going to probably get to a million, million and a half this year. They're an apparel company and, you know, they ended up, they pivoted and started making masks because they're, their constituency kind of went away a little bit. Wow. Like what kind of apparel? Uh, they call it superhuman streetwear. Nice. Uh, it's a really cool niche market. So basically if you're, you know, I don't, I haven't done this in a long time. If you're into video games and Comic-Con and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the, um, 
the characters usually have on some strange looking, uh, it's almost always a jacket. Yeah. So they make these, so they take the jacket and they make it so you can actually wear it yourself. So it, it, they, 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 they talk about the, in essence, they give power to their customers, right? They, they, they help them to feel more powerful. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. And the, and the stuff they make is really neat. And, and it's really, I love, they do a lot of Star Trek and Star Wars and that kind of stuff. And the founder, the, the woman's husband actually looks a little bit like Spock. So they wow. have him wear all the Star Trek stuff. So he wow. kind of looks a little bit like Spock. It's kind of funny. More of a Zachary Quintos versus a Leonard Nimoy, but yeah, it's kind of cool. He's got a really cool look and he's got funky beard and he's got it shaped in a weird way. And it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. That's so they're a really neat company to work with. So, so right now there are, um, Man, there are a lot of people suffering as a result of this this yeah. lockdown. And um, Roxy says cosplay. Yeah, kind of exactly. Yeah, they. I don't know what that. What's that mean? I don't even know. People dress up in costumes and and sort of oh. act as if they are part of that whatever Got genre it. it is. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know right now in the midst of this um, this this lockdown thing. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've seen me express my opinions on no. all this, but we, we won't go there right now. I, I kind of um, get a sense of what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the people that are suffering right now, the companies, small businesses, the, the people that um, definitely were not planning on, on this, which I don't think anybody could have planned for this. I mean, that, that not, not, not to this extent. Right? No way. No, I'm any, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm, I'll be 52 in a couple or yeah, in a couple months. And it's like in 52 years, there has never been anything like this, not even remotely close. Yeah. Ever. was the last time, right? What? 1918 was the last similar event where we shut down the entire globe. Never. Yeah, Spanish flu shut down. It, it killed forty million people in nineteen eighteen during during the World War One. But yeah, we was, didn't we didn't lock people down. Uh, they did a little. They didn't do it to the extent that we're doing. But yes, they yeah. did do some. There were guidelines. You know, it was yeah. we weren't in the communication world that we're in today, where right. broadcast right. Yeah. So they did their best. It was sort of town by town, county by county. But they yeah. did a lot. Of, they did a lot of lockdown because that was. I mean, this is bad, but that was terrible. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, and, and look, look, we made it. Yeah. 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 In fact, <laughs> we suffer from overpopulation in some areas. Like, <laughs> All right, I thought we weren't going there, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're not going to. So, okay. So for the people that aren't pissed off about it, like I am, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So for the people who are, are suffering, man, there's, there's, you know, you, you do coaching and there are small businesses right now that maybe they don't qualify for the, the government assistance or, or that, you know, they're just trying to figure out how to survive one more day. Maybe they're a restaurant, yeah. you know, uh, which is just, uh, wh what do you, what do you say to them? How, how can you guide somebody through this thing? <laughs> Yeah. So actually, because of what I do and how I do it, um, so I'm part of a coaching organization, which 
or several, I have relationships with lots, probably I have access to hundreds and hundreds of other coaches around the world. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, many of us get into this because we want to be of service, right? We're all, right. I think the average age, I'm one of the younger coaches at 55. Wow. Or, you know, the average age is, is actually, I'm probably in the average now. Um, when I first started, I was probably a little bit younger. Uh, so we got together and said, you know, how can we help people? Just what, what can we do? And we said, let's see if we can give them some guidance on what we know, what we've learned as a group. So actually, if you, at the end, I'm sure you'll put my my website in, in the show notes. I've written with a bunch of other people two documents. One is sort of a strategic planning framework. So you can start to think about, okay, let's assume we're going to survive this. We are, it is going to end. We just don't know when, be it, be it I mean, me, meaning COVID, the lockdown thing obviously is, is up for debate. Um, and so you have to start thinking when you, when you can get to a certain point, you start thinking. So I put together a strategic planning framework. It's just one page. And then I, part of that, I, I wrote a second document myself, which I got help with, which is really a checklist because most people are like, okay, that's great, Bill. You know, I can think about how to do this stuff and I can plan the future, but you know, I'm suffering now. What do I do right now? What do I do today? Right. I wrote an 11 point checklist to say, okay, here's what I think. And then a bunch of us think are the things that you should be doing. I wrote it in what I think is the right order, but hey, everybody's a little bit different. And the first thing I wrote was first, you need to take care of yourself yep. and your family. You know, make sure they're safe. All those, you know, all those things that we've been hearing on the news. Uh, the second is your customers, your suppliers, et cetera, to the extent that you can, you know, keep them safe. And that's why, you know, my wife and I get our delivery our groceries delivered now. I used to love going to the grocery stores, kind of zen to walk around and get food. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, I don't really like wearing a mask and I live in a very blue state. So, you know, it's a, the, you get looked at if you don't have a mask on. And so, <laughs> you know, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not as pissed off as you. I'm not. In that way. I just, I just find it really uncomfortable and kind of weird to wear a mask. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pissed off. Okay. I, I think it's funny. I, I, you know, I, I was telling a story yesterday that there, do you guys have um, Menards over there? Uh, we don't nearby, but I know I travel around the country. I know what a Menard is. Yeah. Okay. So we have a Menards here and we have a Lowe's and, and our washing machine went out. Guy comes to fix it and he's like, bro, this, this, the, it'll cost you more than it would just to buy a new one. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go get, well, Menards is requiring masks and Lowe's isn't. And guess where I went? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not like, Hey. You can, you can, you know, so anyway, yeah, I, I'm, but I'm not, I'm not pissed off. I'm just, I'm, I'm not participating. That's, that's all. Got it. So, um, anyway, yeah. So there are a bunch of things you can do, right? Yeah. And, and so the next thing is really just cash. It's, it's about cash, right? You right. Find, so I'll, the story I tell is, so I'm, I'm a one man business. Uh, my yeah. business was cranking. Uh, I was doubling every year. It was a struggle at the beginning, but I was cranking yeah. and, you know, I, I had uh, seven paying clients and and I had two or three other in the queue. I was heading to a very large number this year. Uh, and then 90% of my income was just cut. Wow. Uh, so I was in the same boat. So I what I did is I cut my expenses 70%. I went and found what are all the ways that I can can um, get income? You know, are there any clients out there can that can pay me? You know, so I can get some income that way. You know, I apply for the PPP and the EIDL and all that kind of stuff. And um, and so that, that's what I did. I tried to get all my um, stuff um, 
cash reserves consolidated. I I deferred my bank said we'll defer your mortgage for three months if you want. I'm like no brainer. Wow. You know, it's just, we'll put it on the end. I'm like I'm 55. Put it on the end. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'll pay that puppy off when I'm 90. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so I did all that. You know, and I got my expenses down to below um, my need and my my income. So now. With the PPP, that's going to last me six or seven months. If I don't make any money, it's going to last me six or seven months. Yeah. You know, who knows how long it will last. So that's what I recommend to people as well. As you do that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff on this checklist. It's pretty good. And if your listeners like it, so because of service, I'm happy to be a resource. If they want to call me and say, I don't know what this means. Can you walk me through it? I am happy to do that. Is, I have there, a place, okay. is there a place where they could download that checklist? Yeah, on my website. What is, what's your website address? I'm going to put it up. It's catalystgrowthadvisors.com. Catalyst. <laughs> you got to know how to spell catalyst. Yeah. I hope I got it right. L-Y-S-T. Yeah. Growth uh, advisors with an O. Uh, that part. <laughs> some people do it with an E, so I just want to make oh, sure. Really? <laughs> yeah. I I think I got it. Is that correct right there? That is it. Perfect. So they can download the checklist there. Yeah, there are two documents and in, in, in they're in my Dropbox. You just go click on it and download it and that kind of stuff. Roxy says, come to Texas. <laughs> I'm supposed to come to Texas in, uh, I think, August. I'm being asked to speak to an EO group down, down there. I can't remember what city it's in. I think it's outside of Houston. Do you do a lot with EO? I do a little. I do more with Vistage, if you're familiar with Vistage. Okay. So yeah, I'm a Vistage speaker. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I'd be 10 to 20 times a year. I go somewhere and do a thing. Yeah. It's a little harder to get into, and um, yeah. but uh, I do that. I did a little. I did a little YPO as well. Yeah. So so what is um, what do you think is is like gonna happen here for for. <laughs> Do you have, I mean, you got to sit around and, and talk <laughs> with your wife and go, I mean, what do you think is, 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 is going to happen for, I mean, dude, there's a lot of small businesses in this country that are, are done. They're done. Yes, they are done. <clears throat> yeah. And it's really unfortunate because we, you know, we were, we were pretty much cranking, right? We, this was a pretty good economy and it was a great economy. Well. Um, so it, so I'm a bit of a history buff. So I've read about, you know, other things that have happened and the only way we get to some semblance of back to where we were in terms of freedom and, you know, and, and, and safety and, and, and security, whatever, you know, just a sense of well-being, is either with really good therapeutics and, or a vaccine. Um, you know, the, if you believe some of these guys that have been doing this for like Fauci and Burks and Redfield and these guys, we're looking at 18 months, give or take, hopefully sooner for vaccine, maybe sooner for therapeutics. But other than that, you know, you're going to have to, you're, you're at some sort of a risk. This is a highly infectious disease and it doesn't care who we are, how old we are, where we live, what our political affinity is. It wants to perpetuate itself and it's doing a really good job of that. And uh, so I think, unfortunately, we and the U.S. haven't quite done as well as others. There are some great examples of countries that have done pretty well. Some of them are lucky because they're an island or they have a different sort of culture, if you will, a more homogeneous culture where you know we're sort of independent and you know, don't mess with me and that kind of stuff, which will make it just harder for us. But 
So I, I'm thinking, you know, uh, unless the the temperature is a factor, meaning the summer will be okay, we're in this for a while. We're in this for probably the next six to nine months would be my guess. I'm planning for that anyway. Wow. Now, not necessarily lockdown, but some variant of that. Wow. Well, I think that it's definitely going to, it's going to cause a, um, an economic issue for a minimum of, of that. Um, you know, we, we don't have to go into the other stuff, but, um, so, so for you, uh, so you've never, you've never moved away from that area. No, I've traveled. Uh, so I've been to 43 states. I've been to four continents and, uh, you know, 20 some odd countries. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I really like it here. This is a cool place to live. Um, it's, you know, if you could see outside, I can't see my neighbors. I have 600 acres of uh, open land behind my house. What? Uh, it's a beautiful area. It's, it's wonderful. I got two acres of my own. Uh Wow. You know, I'm an hour from some really nice beaches. I'm an, an hour or two from, from pretty cool mountains, although it's hard to ski in this part of the world. I, I don't yeah. know. I've skied uh, in Utah and Colorado and other places. It's a, I'd much rather ski there. Uh, we get lots of great culture and, and things. It's just it's just a really nice place to be. You know, they say Boston is great if you're from here. Harder if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they say it's hard to break in, and, and that's probably true, but there's also a say once you get in, once you're in, you're in. Like once yeah. you sort of broke through that wall, yeah, you're a friend. You have friends for life, so that's also nice. So I have friends that I've had friends. I've I, my best friend just moved back. I've been friends with him since we were 11 years old. Wow, you know, and he's a good. He's a good. He's a he's a musician. Maybe we're talking about guitar off. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a musician. He he humbles me. I, I play and then I go. Wow, I'm doing really great. And then I watch him. Now I'm not. Yeah. Even <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, wow. I was getting ready to ask you a question and I, it totally slipped my mind. Um, so I never moved away. You, you were on the, you yeah, never, never yeah. moved kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm curious about the, it had something to do with all these startups. I, I like what, what made you decide to start helping startups? How did that even come about? Like, yeah. And so, how do you make money with a startup? Well, that's sort of risk reward, right? Um, uh, so Ken, at one point, I was worth over $11 million. Wow. Uh, that was April of, uh, I'm sorry, March of 2000. Wow. And then the dot-com bust, and I couldn't sell any of my stock. Uh, we had a six-month lockout. The lockout ended in April. So I went from 11 million. Now this is like a this is a first world problems, right? So I'm not yeah. I'm not in any way saying, "Hoo hoo, poor me." Right. Um, but we went from 11 million to you know we have a beautiful house in Sudbury. My daughter went to private school. I mean I've done really well. Um, but my the stock went from 124, and it was the low was below two when it when it dropped all the way. Wow. Um, so you can make a ton of money uh, in it, yeah. but there's risk and reward, right? Uh, so. And be honest with you, I never did it for the money. I love puzzles. I love figuring out stuff. And being sales and marketing, that's really your job, right? You're the head of the spear, uh, the tip of the spear in, as a sales guy. And I was generally either 
one of the top sales guys or it was the head of sales. So it was really incumbent upon me to make, make it work. <clears throat> um, and I liked that pressure a little bit, it, you know, sometimes it got to you, but I really liked the pressure of doing that. Uh, and I love trying to figure stuff out. And I said, and I got lucky. I got with a really good bunch of people. I seemed to pick pretty well. I was five for six. Um, you know, it's five for 10 eventually. So the last four, not so good. Um, but, uh, that was why I did it. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, but are, are these tech start tech startups all, all software or hardware? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Around here. That's, that's generally where you're going to, you're going to fall in. And, and I got lucky. I, I, I met some good people and I got pulled into something and that was my first one. It was 1995 and it was an internet startup. I don't know how much the worldwide web was invent, invented in 1994. <laughs> And I got into the internet in 95 and I did a whole bunch of internet startups and then mobile and that kind of stuff, apps and things. Um, that, that, you know, I had a, I have a, a friend, he's been on the show. His name's Mike Muni. I don't know if you know who he is or not, but he's the co-founder of ACT software. Yeah, sure. And, and sounds familiar, but yeah, he's, he's done, uh, he's done fairly well, but he has a, a you know, his story is incredible you know, him and his, his business partner came up with this idea for ACT Software. And he tells this incredible story about, you know, they had a, a, a an angel investor. Yep. And and I don't, like me personally, I, I when I started my company, it was on a $20 loan and fresh out of a divorce. <laughs> and and, and I, I just went out and knocked on doors. And so I built my first website in 1994. So I've been Good doing it for a long, long time. Yeah, much like you. And, and, you know, I, I think that I never, I don't like if somebody like you would have come to me, I'd have been like, dude, what I build websites. I'm just like, you know, like, I, I, I don't, I don't get that whole world. I don't understand where, and I'm not sure if anybody or everybody understands that. So a startup company with a new software idea, um, where, do, where do you come into play? Like you got two guys that came up with a software idea and then Bill Flynn arrives on the scene. Where, how, how does that all come about? Yeah. So, um, so there's sort of, I'll answer it in two different ways. One is like anything where you get into it, you usually know someone, right? You somehow you get connected and that's how you get introduced. Right. Um, and from my perspective, what was really lucky for me was that I got in with two or three really great guys and we clicked really well. And then we were brought from company to company. We had one, one um, investor here called Matrix, which really liked what we did. And they said, great, do another one. And they, they just put it in for, for 20 years. I never interviewed for a job right? and I had five or six. Right. Uh, because, you know, you just sort of, so, so that's one way. Uh, the other is, so for me and, and what I did is uh, I was the guy who would scale it. Right. I, I would take it from they, they had the idea. I'm not an idea guy. I don't come up with I have friends who come up with 20 ideas in 10 minutes. And right. I'm just not that guy. Um, but I'm my brain is pretty good at finding patterns. Uh, I'm very curious um, and I have this good compassionate streak about me. And I think that's a good combination of things that allows me to help find the way through this morass as quickly as possible. Um, so that's what I'm brought in to do. And then, you know, my job is to, is to help them, help the company figure out, okay, great. You have a few customers, but your first few customers aren't usually the same as your next hundred or 200. So you got to sort of figure that you, 
it's called crossing the chasm in the world that I come from. Right. I was the guy who helped them cross the chasm, right? Okay, let's figure out how to get this thing great, greater because your first few customers are as crazy as you. Right, so, right. You know, and you got to find the people who are a little hesitant to get into this new thing. That's your next set, right? They're called the early majority, if you will. So that's what my job was. And, and, um, and, and I was pretty good at that. And I think that's why, you know, I helped. I certainly didn't do it on my own, but I certainly helped um, accelerate that. And then I was pretty good. I was really bad at hiring when I first started. Yeah. And I got better at it. You know, I learned where I was terrible mistakes and I sort of followed the conventional wisdom of how you hire. And I found out, you know what? Salespeople are the best interviewers on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And you can't interview them in a regular way because they have all the answers. You got to find out what's underneath. Right. So I had these, I, I would interview in a bizarre way. I was told I've never been interviewed like this before. I had a guy walk out at one of my interviews. He said, he said, that was the, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. And he left. What was the question? Uh, so I would, uh, I started, I got this question from a friend of mine. And so one of the things you want to do when you're a sales guy is, is, is you, it's, it's not a, it's, you want to know that they've successful in the past. So I would never interview anyone who wasn't either number one or number two somewhere else. Right. Twice, twice, two more times. Cause once you can get lucky twice yeah. starting like, okay, maybe. Yeah. So that was my first bar. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to do what I want, you know, and what we want to do. And and right. and uh, so I, I wanted to know a few things. I wanted to know, you know, are you empathetic and or compassionate? Are you curious? And do you basically do you think like an entrepreneur? Because the salesperson, in essence, is running his own business yep. or her own business, even though they're in among other people. Then you really have to think like you're an entrepreneur. Right. So uh, I had one question, which was the hypothetical. And I said, OK, uh, it's the first day of the job at this company and it's my company. And we just had the best quarter ever in the history of the company. And I wanna throw a big party. Yeah. I asked you to do it. What do you do? And then I shut up. I buy a couple of kegs and. <laughs> I get all sorts of answers. So that was the answer the guy walked out. He said, that's a stupid question. It's like, okay, you know, but it helps me to get, you know, so what I'm looking for in there is, and actually, Ken, if you if you came up with that answer, I wouldn't hire you <laughs> because I wanted people oh, who trust me. I wouldn't be interviewing, so we're good. <laughs> I want someone who's consultative and and whatever. I want them to say, you know, hey, I'd probably walk around and talk to a bunch of people and say, tell me about the company and tell me what happened and what are some good stories and what are the kind of things you like to do on here. I just wanted to know that they would they would gather some data and information and then say, okay, based on what I heard. I think this would probably be a good thing to do. Yeah. As opposed to we're going to go bowling, we're going to get beers and yeah. we're going to have a great time. I, I, my, my answer honestly would be like, I would probably form a small committee of people to help me put the party together. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what I my buddy Glenn Morshower is on right now and he's, he's throwing out poems. So thanks for that, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't, do, do you know who Glenn is? I do not. He he played Agent Pierce on the TV show Twenty Four for oh cool for years and very nice. He's uh, been in hundreds of movies and good dude. We have a show on Sunday nights called the Ken and Glenn Show with a guy named Scott. So um, like that. is that the name of the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott McCain, um, a Hall of Fame speaker, buddy of mine, and and ours now. And he's we have it's a great show. We have a great time. Oh, We're, we created the show to 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 help people laugh. You know, good. 
Life's yeah. too short. Uh, but back to the interview thing, I wouldn't be interviewing. I found out a long time ago, I am unemployable. <laughs> so I, I, I don't. That's good. That's good to know early on. I just, yeah. So, um, <laughs> So uh, the reason I keep asking you about the startup thing is yeah. if there's somebody watching right now that is in a startup phase, maybe it's one guy that that has the best new CRM on the planet or idea for um, an app or whatever. They have $12 to their name and yeah. they don't know what to do. How can you help that person that that's like, man, I think I have a really cool idea. I just don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So uh, what I would say is first, let's define what a startup is. A startup is a temporary organization okay. in search of a business model. Amen. There you go. Now, if you're in search of a business model, the first thing to do isn't to build anything unless you're, you can rapidly modify it as you go. Okay. So a lot of people ask me that, what's your, so Bill, give me, you know, what's your one thing of advice you tell entrepreneurs? And it's the same thing. Do not fall in love with your idea. Fall in love with the problem and the customer. And then you'll figure out what the idea is. You're always going to start off with something because usually it's some sort of struggle that you had or someone you know has or whatever, or you think you can do it better than someone else, which is a great start. But I've done this 10 times and I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs it is very rare that your first idea is the one that makes it. Right. So that's it. Fall in love with the problem. Try to figure out how to, what's the problem? What are the struggles? How can we, how can we figure out what really is something going on with this customer or set of customers? And then um, go from there. So the, the story I like to tell is, so I worked at a company called Live Vault about 10 years ago, which was eventually bought by Iron Mountain, which many people know. Uh, and we were a data backup company and we were doing, um, disc to disc backup. And I started off and, and they said, look, we need to you know, come in and help scale this thing. We want to sell this thing. Eventually it was, it was nine, seven or eight, nine years old, been through multiple rounds of financing and they were really struggling. Um, and they wanted to add a channel and they brought me in and I said, look, this is my process. I come in and I want to, I want to talk to about 20 or so of, of the existing customers so I can get a sense of why, why did they give you their time and money? Um, and before I did this, I asked the management team who had been doing this for years and years and years. And I said, so why do you think people buy from us? And they had a really good answer, which was insurance. They're buying insurance from us, meaning they're paying us a little bit every month. So if their data gets corrupted or something happens, they can get it back or most of it back relatively quickly. And I said, that's a really good answer. So, but let me go and talk to these people. So I went out and I talked to, I ended up talking to 17 people and um, I asked them a whole bunch of questions, but I asked them one really good question, which was, what is the most valuable thing that our service has been has done for you? And I said thing on purpose because I didn't want to do feature or benefit. I wanted them to give me whatever came into their head. And what was really surprising was I got the same answer almost over and over again. I think 12 out of the 17 people said nearly the same words, which was amazing. And that was, set it and forget it. I'm a really busy small to medium business owner. I've got so much going on in my life. I hate doing tape. I hate the data backup thing. I know it's important, but I don't want to do it. You're telling me I can push three or four buttons and never worry about it ever again. How much does that cost? Mm. And 
I told my team, I said, start saying these words. When you talk to prospects, say our best customers about set it and forget it. We, we, every month I was there, we beat the previous month and Iron Mountain bought us for 10X revenue 18 months after I got there. Now, wow. I didn't do it on my own, right? But because they wanted to see that we could do it, right? And, you know, yeah. it wasn't a big number in the end. We were pretty small. Um, but that's, that's what I say. You got to get in the head of your customer and figure out, you know, what's going on. And you can't say, why do you buy from me? Because they don't actually know. What it what so you, we're looking at at I think we're looking at startups in two different ways. Okay, <laughs> I'm looking at a startup. This is my my take. Doesn't mean I'm right. Um, I remember when I started my business, um, I had a, an unbelievable need to um, eat. And, and make car payments and, you know, um, and so my idea of a startup is, well, I have, I, I have a, um, an idea for a business yep. and I want to get started with it. Step number one is I need my first customer. Step number one is I need revenue, <laughs> right? I need cash. Cash is, is king, right? Yep. So, so how do you help or do you even help do you do you help companies that new um so you know if, if you have no money and you need money then you're in a very difficult position to be in a startup because most fail so yeah. if you see if you if you hear the stories of like Airbnb and, and Microsoft and all these guys, you know, over years, it's generally the same story. I love this podcast called How I Built This. Yeah. And if, you, if they tell the story, and if you listen, it's this almost the same story over and over and over again. Sarah Blankley and Blakely, yep. and you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, I did it as a side hustle, or I lived in my parents, whatever. They didn't actually need money. Or right. if they did, they found this other way to make some money so they could yeah. do their thing. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, if you're in, if you're in great need of money, don't do a startup. Yeah, too risky. If you can borrow money, great, right? But borrow from your dad or your mom, or your friends, or family and friends. Don't borrow from another person, right. uh, an investor, because you've decided to. As soon as you get money from an investor, you've decided to sell your company. Right. You right. have to act like you're going to sell your company. But if you get your parents, it's okay. So yeah. that's that's sort of where my thing is, and and I I'm I'm sorry if the if the story wasn't. Fitting my my point with the story is, you need to be curious and empathetic, and you have to understand what's their struggle. Yeah. Not let me tell you how great my idea is and why you should buy it. Right. They don't care what your product does. Right. They care what your product does for them. And if you keep that in your mind, then you'll ask the right questions, and and you'll, you know, the, we have this wonderful thing as human beings called confirmation bias, and uh, Simon and Garfunkel have the best way of saying it. Right. We hear what we want to hear and we disregard the rest. Amen. And if so you do that as a startup founder, you're going to struggle. You might make it because, hey, you can get lucky, but I'd rather not be lucky. Yeah. So I that, that's my, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's sort it of. Does. <clears throat> Absolutely, it does. So um, for, for somebody with an idea that um, with no money, the the how important do you think um because you're an island <laughs> i mean 
When it's just an idea and you're yeah. just getting things going, you are literally an island. How important is having sales skills? Uh, I'll tell you. So sales, uh, I'm a bit of a neuroscience geek. Yeah. Uh, and sales is about helping someone make a decision. And if you believe the current level of neuroscience, uh, when we make decisions as human beings, the biggest part of our brain that lights up is the limbic system. Yep. The limbic system is emotion. There is no language in the limbic system. So technically, when you make a decision, Ken, and then you tell people why you made the decision, you're just making stuff up. Um, yep. So what I found is if founders really believe in what they're doing and really feel like they're going to help someone, that is the best sales they could ever be doing because people are going to read the sincerity. They're going to understand that you care about them. That's the best sales you can ever model, whatever you want to call it, technique that you can have. Yep. Um, totally agree. I think a founder is a great salesperson if they truly believe in what they're doing, which they usually do, but they also, they also want to help someone sincerely um, as a sales guy. So I was a 30 year sales guy. And, and uh, when I got started the first four or five years, I was terrible at sales, right? I, I was the, you know, feeds and speeds and, and all this features and benefits and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I was okay. But when I learned about the brain, I became a much better salesperson. And I would always ask this one question whenever I was with a prospect, first meeting, any meeting, I would say, okay, we're going to talk for an hour. If you could describe for me, what would be the best possible outcome for you for this meeting? What would you have learned? What do you want to get from me, etc.? And I would ask what I call the bully with the juice first, right? You have to sort of figure that out. I was the bully with the juice. I love that yeah. phrase. And then you want to make sure you go around the room to get everyone else because there are influencers and other people in the process. You don't know everybody. And then you, I would write the list down. And then I would go through my pitch and I would just focus on what they wanted. And then at the end, if they didn't ask for something that I thought might be interesting because other people that were like them said it, then I would bring that up. And that's when I would sell, so to speak, right? I would say, hey, you know, you didn't say this, but... Here are some other things that people like. I was, after that, as I said, I was either the number one or number two salesperson at every single company I was ever at. And from a technique perspective, I'm not a good salesperson. Uh, and from a, an overall perspective, I don't drink, I don't play golf. I am I am not good at small talk and I'm generally an introvert. Yep. So I don't have any of those sort of stereotypical qualities, but I think people saw that I sincerely wanted to be of service to them and they, if they could, they would find a way to work with me. Right. So that's what I think. That's what, I that's think what the founder can be a great salesperson. And and I, I love that. It all it all goes back to something that Glenn Morshauer talks a lot about in his coaching and his his acting school and everything yeah. he does. And and it's what I it's it's enthusiasm. Like you've got to have that that and I'm a huge Dr. Joe Dispenza fan. So oh, yeah, I know Joe. Um, I, I, I love everything you're talking about people. That's why, like, personally, I could never, I could not work for a company that if I don't really, I mean, really, really believe in the product, yeah. I have to feel it in my soul. And if I don't feel it in my, if I do feel it in my soul, I'll be number one. It won't take long. But, like, right. Yeah. And, and, it, but like, for me, connecting with engineer type people, I don't. I just don't because they they're so they're so living in the left brain that that they they they, they I, I like 
dude, have you felt an emotion in the last 25 years? <laughs> like, like everything in your life that structured, really? So yeah. like, I just can't, I can't do it. But um, here, Glenn says, I believe with every fiber of my being that healthy motives are supported by life. Manipulation and control of others is not. Amen. Totally with that so so um you wrote a book i did let's see it you got a copy i do i have it right here it's called further faster further faster the vital few steps that take the guesswork out of growth that's it talk about that what was the uh what was what was the the reason for the book? I'm gonna I'm gonna post a, a link for everybody if they want to go grab a copy of your book. But talk about the book. Where where did the idea start? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I never wanted to write a book. Um, I I don't like to write, <laughs> um, but so I've been doing this for about four years, and and I've you know I, one of the things I think that I benefited from was. Uh, I always wanted to get better. I always want to be better at what I, whatever I did. I was always looking to improve in some small way. And if you do that for 30 years, hopefully it adds up. And um, when I would talk to clients or I'd speak to groups or CEOs and people would come up and talk to me afterwards, I started to hear, hey, you know, you're, you're kind of telling the same thing, right? It's it's how to run a business. People generally say it the same way, right? It's the same things you do. It's there's there's not a lot of variability, right? This is Drucker and Shine and 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 um, Deming and Collins and Porter and all these thinkers that are out there. They generally have been the same same thing for decades, right? Not any different. But it seemed that the way I spoke about it and, and my take on it was different. And so people would say, "You need to write this stuff down. You need to write a book." And so people would tell me, "You need to write a book." And I said, "Okay, but I don't want like to write." So I had to figure out if I want to write a book, how would I do that? So I decided I'm not going to write my own book. I want I will hire someone who's a much better writer than I am, and I will tell them my story, and hopefully they can capture my voice. So I hired an outside company to um, to help me write the book, and I probably wrote 20 to 30 percent of it was actually my words because I write a blog post a couple times a month, and um, they're really short type of thing. I don't mind doing that because it's you know it's one to two minutes of reading. It's easier, but writing a book is it's difficult. So. I decided to do that. So my take is uh, uh, two things. One is I'm a big fan of uh, the Pareto principle. That's what that's what the vital few means, right? The law of the vital few is the Pareto principle, which most people know is the 80-20 rule, right? Yep. 80% of the results are from 20% of the effort. Right. So I wrote a book, which is the which applies the 80-20 rule. That as, as a coach, and I'm sure you have this as well as a coach, there's lots of exercises and things that you can do, dozens if not hundreds, but that's too much for people. Right. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to boil it down to the few things. I've studied this for almost 30 years. My first book I read, business book I read was by Andy Grove. I was 23 years old. And I've, I read 50 to 60 business books a year. And I've had a lot of mistakes and I've done all these things. And I said, you know, I'm going to try to boil it down to a few things. And that's what I did. I boiled it down to three things that you need to do to run a healthy and thriving company. Besides those things I mentioned already, right? You need right. to be humble. You need to be a learner. You need to be able to challenge the status quo. Uh, you also need to focus on team. You have to build a system as you're in your business because the only way to, to have a business scale is to have it to be systematic. If you're having to make new decisions all the time, it just slows everything down. 
And lastly, as a 30 year sales and marketing guy, my I say cash is should be your primary growth metric, meaning if you want to grow, growth sucks cash. So you have to have the money in order to grow. So instead of saying, I want to reach $100 million, you want to say, oh, in order for me to do everything I need to do, I need $30 million. How am I going to make $30 million, right? And right. how long will it take? So in order to do that, how much money do I need to make based upon my margin and all those kinds of things? If you do that, you'll make better decisions. Um, as has as been said many times, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. Yep. Right? So if you focus... I say revenue is great. If you want to brag to your brother-in-law or you want to you want to tell a story to a reporter saying we grew from 50 to 100 million, great story, right? Tell it. It's a wonderful story. But in the end, it doesn't matter because if you're a $100 million company and you made $2 million, you're not as healthy a company as someone who has $20 million and they made five. You're just not. Right. And we're seeing it now. Those people who didn't build a company that had that cash machine and, and they were smart enough to save it and put stuff away. Right. Yep. One of the things I say is have some working capital. I recommend, you know, that you put away the amount that you think you need. My advice is somewhere between two and 12 months. And now it's getting closer to six to 12 months with all this, yeah. you know, between nine 11 and 2008 and this, um, if you have that uh, put away, then, you know, this is, this is going to happen again, this COVID thing. It's not going to be COVID, but it's going to be something in the next eight to 10 years, we're going to have another one. We've already had three in 20. Yeah. Prepare now to be able to do that. Yeah. And that's what my book is, you know, and my book, you can get it for free. If you want on my website, it's a PDF download, harder to read, but you know, or you can, uh, you can get an ebook or, or the copy of it there. And that's all it is. It's, it's, I, I read I didn't write it, but the woman who wrote it with me captured my voice. My voice is very, I'm um, simple, practical, and actionable. Yeah. Actually, you read the book, you read a chapter, you can go to my website and do the exercise. And then you can read the next chapter and do the ex next exercise. It's a DIY book. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So so um, the book is free on your website? Yeah. So um, it's a PD a, the PDF version of it is free. Okay. So, I mean, I'd love you to buy it, but hey, yeah. you, know, you can't afford especially these days. If you can't afford it, don't worry about it. Just download it. Yeah. Uh, and you can do that. If, I mean, if you want to buy it, great. And if you read it, terrific. Give me a review. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, but wow. I, I didn't write a book to make a ton of money. I wrote it because yeah. people said it might be helpful. And so far, it's only been out a month, month and a half. The, wow. review, the reviews are really good. I've got only 12 on Amazon, but I've heard from other people. And uh, the re I'm so surprised by the, it's, the seemingly sincere appreciation of the book yeah it's cool because i never tended to write one so great <laughs> so for for um I, one of my final questions for you i cannot believe we've already been on here an hour um would be and this is a broad question what do you feel what do you think what's your opinion on what the the biggest thing is that holds people back from success in life because look i believe that we are here we need to get rich and i mean wealthy as far as money i i do mean money okay um broke people cannot help 
as many people as wealthy people can. Mm -hmm. And and Zig Ziglar used to say money isn't everything, but it's 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 ranked right up there with oxygen. <laughs> and and you know I, I've tried to help people when I was broke, and I found that that um, you know you just can't help as many people. No. So I think that that you know there are all of these programs that we have running that uh, T. Harv Eker talks about. Um, what do you think the number one thing is holding people back in life? I'm not going to say fear. <laughs> oh, you've watched a couple of interviews. I told you I did. Yeah, I told you. I love it. <laughs> but to be honest with you, it's the three pounds between your ears. Yeah. So our brain is 12,000 years old. It was not designed to do what we're asking it to do. And it fools us on a regular basis. We are highly emotional, highly irrational beings. And you need to understand that. And you need to understand the fear is the fear is a natural response of your brain because you're the primary job of your brain <clears throat> is to help the rest of it outside of this dark, quiet space to survive. And the reason we're here is because our ancestors were really good at that. Yeah. And why were they good at that? Because they didn't put themselves in situations to be killed or whatever. Right. That's why we survived. So if you can, if, Again, as I said, when I when I became a really good salesperson because I understood that this thing, these three pounds of dark quietness control pretty much everything. There's other stuff coming from your heart and your lungs and your gut and all that kind of stuff that's that's helping it to make decisions. But your brain is making, I think it's 32,000 decisions a day is yeah. what you make on average, right? And that's in your brain. And a lot of them are out of, out of your understanding and out of your conscious awareness. Um, so that's what I think gets in our way is if you, if we all just had a basic understanding of how the brain works, it doesn't work the way we think it does. Right. And if you just get a little sense of that, you'll be more empathetic. You'll be more compassionate. You'll be more, you'll be make smarter decisions. You'll back up and say, okay, I know that's what it, it feels like I should do, but let me take a step back. Right. Um, we don't do that very often. So I think that's, the lack of understanding of how this thing works, even a basic level, is the thing that holds us back. And it what? causes the fear. It causes everything. Where where would somebody start? So if from a professional perspective, the best book I've ever read about that is called Your Brain at Work. Uh, okay. And uh, it, in essence, the, 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 the essence of the book is your brain is every, I think it's five times a second, is doing is always checking your environment. Is it safe? Is there a threat? Is there a reward? We're always The brain is always moving towards reward and away from threat. And there are five basic things that it, that it looks at, which is status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness, right? So the story I tell is, and, and, uh, is if you, we've all done this, or you've either done it or we've had it done to us. Maybe not you, because you don't work for anybody. But Let's say you're in a meeting and your boss taps you on your shoulder after the meeting and says, hey, that was a pretty decent meeting, but you know what? I'd like to go, let's go back to my office and I want to talk to you about it a little bit. Immediately your brain is, oh my God, what did I do wrong? Right. I'm going to get fired. Okay, uh, if I get fired, then I'm going to lose my house. I can't send my kids to college. What am I going to do? I just bought that new car. So by the time you sit down in front of your boss, you are in full threat mode. So it doesn't matter what he says to you, you are not paying attention. Right. So- 
and it, it status was there, certainty was there, autonomy was there, etc. So here's another way to do it, right? Do the same thing and say, hey, you know what, Ken, that was a pretty decent meeting. Um, and I know we always want to improve, right? That's part of the core values. Let's do this. Let's grab lunch in a couple of days. If you could set that up. And I want to listen to you and say, what do you thought went well in the meeting? Maybe some things that you could do. I have some ideas as well. And let's work together to try to make the next meeting even better than the last meeting. That's the same outcome you're looking for, but you'll get a different, you'll get a different human being that comes to you because yep. you've given them, you've trusted them. And right. we do it inadvertently, right? We don't do it on purpose. We're not trying to be mean or whatever because we don't know that that's what's happening in the brain. Right, right. So that's that's wow. my that's my answer. I thought about your answer. I thought about that for a few days. Wow. I think that's it. That's that you're almost like an engineer, man. You plan. I, am. <laughs> I didn't take any offense from your comment earlier, but yeah, I'm kind of an engineer in my brain. <laughs> oh my gosh, you've got this whole interview on a blueprint somewhere, don't you? <laughs> uh, there are some notes. I do have some notes. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't, look awesome. at them. I, want you, I didn't look at them. That's awesome, man. So catalyst, what's a catalyst? I've never, I don't think I've ever looked up the word catalyst. I'm going to have to, what is, what's, what a catalyst is in a, it basically it's bringing together two different things that, that sparks and energizes something else. Love, love, love that, man. That's awesome. So Bill. Thanks, Jill. <laughs> Bill Flynn catalystgrowthadvisors.com. You can download his book, the PDF version for free. Um, I have posted the link to go over to Amazon and buy the book. You should go buy the book. I don't care if you are broke. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. <laughs> well, look, I, and I, I'm going to just express my opinion about that. You cannot outgive God. And, and, and whenever, and the, the, it's, it's a basic principle of life. When you're helping somebody else, it's impossible to not receive help back. And it's usually tenfold. Spirit of abundance. Yep. It is. So, so if you're living in fear about like, oh, if I, I don't even know how much your book is, I'm assuming somewhere around 10 to 20 bucks, yep. you know, like if you're if you're worried about that, you've got way bigger problems than than uh, than you're aware of. Can I give Can I give one more incentive to buy the book? Yes, please. So I, I made a promise since I put it out during the COVID crisis that every uh, every dollar that I get from the book is going to be donated to United Way of Massachusetts for COVID efforts until, and I will keep doing that until no state, no county, no city is in lockdown. Awesome. Well, California just announced three more months yesterday. So yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. a ton of money. I mean, I, I, yeah. I would love it to be a ton of money. It's, it's hundreds of dollars. So it's, it's more of the principle of the thing than the yeah, amount. I know that's awesome. <laughs> it's called giving back, man. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what it's about. It's Agreed. about giving back. People need to get out of the fear of, of lack, get out of the fear of I'm not going to have enough and into the mindset of there's plenty for everyone. So go buy the book. Mike Scott, good on you, bro. Thanks, there's Mike. a buddy of mine in California. And and he's he's also a coach and, and a business consultant and um, 
I, I can tell he's enjoyed the interview with you, man. So, um, Bill, thank you for being a guest on the show. I really genuinely appreciate your time having you come on this morning and, and share your story and your wisdom, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I know, I know you didn't know me. You took a chance and I, I hopefully I, I helped in uh, some of your listeners and it was great meeting you. It was nice meeting you as well. And you did great, man. You have a great story. I love it. Um, my, my, um, my wife enjoyed it too. She's very, very, very left brain as well. So, uh, <laughs> I'm the I'm the big picture idea guy. <laughs> good. It's a good. That's a good combination, right? The visionary and the not always, but yeah, yeah, most of the time. Well, there's always tension. That's inherent oh, yeah. in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It makes it fun sometimes. But uh, anyway, all right, Bill. Thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who watched, everyone who shared this out. Thank you so much. Appreciate you all, Bill. Thanks again. Appreciate Take care, everybody. Stay safe and sound. All right. We'll see you all later. We'll uh, not tomorrow, but we'll see you next week. Thanks so much, Bill. Don't hang up on me. Hold on.